You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run Walsh. If it's first and 10, Walsh. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Matt Stagner here with my guy, Ron Cobb Jr., the 2-0 Kansas City Chiefs in what feels like a week and a half ago yeah. uh, pulled off a tough victory against the Los Angeles Chargers and and now lead the division outright. So it's a pretty decent start to the season. How are you doing, Ron? Man, I'm doing good. Yeah, you're right. That game feels forever ago now. We saw the rest of the AFC West, uh, you know, maybe kind of not look as great over the weekend again. Uh yeah, I mean, Chiefs are sitting pretty. You got to feel good right now if you're a Chiefs fan, man. Um, we're feeling good, 2-0. I'm going into a game against a, uh, a Colts team that just lost 24 nothing to Jacksonville. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I think things are looking good. Uh, we have we have some negative news, but we'll get into that, Stags. Yeah, and, and, and we got some good questions from you guys from Twitter. We'll get to those for sure. Uh, we'll talk some statistics and some other things. Uh, one of the questions I had for you, Ron, is, do you think we overestimated how tough this schedule is going to be and, and also how tough the division is going to be? Uh, or is it just, you know, it's just been an up and down season so far? Yeah, I think there's always that always kind of happens when you go into the season like, oh, my gosh, all these teams that made the playoffs last year, they've been good. Well, things change so much in the NFL. I mean, you know, you look at the Cardinals and the Colts as, as two early examples of, you know, I know the Cardinals had to come back on the Raiders this weekend, but. You know, th- those teams have been good for a while, but the, no team is good forever, um, you know, unless you're Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Chiefs. But, uh, you know, th- there's going to be some drop off at, at some point. I, and, and it's not really surprising to see a team like the Colts maybe not look as good because it, it seems like they've been teetering on that for a while, kind of, you know, um, you know, going through quarterback after quarterback. But anyway, I, I do think we probably overstated it a little bit, but that's just the nature of the NFL. Teams, you know, look good one year and don't look good the next year. And teams that didn't look good one year all of a sudden are really good. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's probably some overstating for sure. Yeah, there, there was this talk about the Chiefs' first eight games being the toughest in NFL history and this being the toughest division in NFL history. I mean, I think some of those superlatives probably got a little ahead of themselves. Yeah. Um, again, you're right. There's there's just some teams that are just going to fall, um, you know, after after being having a good record in one season, things don't roll their way the next year. Or maybe they just get a year older and they didn't get uh, – better enough in order to uh to really compete in in the future season so i feel like we're seeing that with indianapolis we're seeing that with cincinnati uh there's a handful of teams in this league that that just didn't quite improve uh to keep pace with the rest of the league 
And then you've got the Raiders and Broncos who tried, but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, the Broncos, man, that experiment, um, you know, getting booed at, in your, your home opener and uh, having the, the play clock cl- counted down for you because you can't you can't count the play clock, apparently. Um, but, you know, the Colts are a perfect example of a of a uh, of a team that, you know, it could be a, a little bit of a trap game. So, I, you know, I don't want to underlay them too much. They are, you know, it is a well-coached team and, and they have a solid line on both sides of the, of the ball. But we'll get into all that. But, uh, yeah, Colts are kind of a trap game. Uh, Chiefs don't take them seriously. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this game plays out. Obviously, they have one of the league's best offensive weapons and Jonathan Taylor. And then, uh, you know, there's some pieces around there. And it's just a matter of um, – you know, they obviously have to play better than they did last week. Uh, the Chiefs can play better than they did last week as well. And so it's interesting uh, to see how they come out of this 10-day break, out of the mini bye week, if you will. Now that the the first division test is over and they, and they passed, um, but there, there's also some new challenges popping up in the news. Uh, so we saw, uh, we're recording on Tuesday. We just saw yesterday, Monday, uh, Willie Gay Jr. Uh, suspended for the next four games. Uh, for the misdemeanor arrest and domestic uh, violence uh, type issue he had uh, versus a, a vacuum cleaner earlier in the season. Um, what are your thoughts on the Willie Gay suspension? Well, I'm going to look at it from an on-field perspective because something I did for the site this week was look at how the Chiefs defense uh, fared against the Chargers and how they kind of ultimately – they got those five stops in the second half, right? Five consecutive drives. The Chargers did not score points kind of the difference in the game because that sixth drive was when they were already down 10 um, and scored that touchdown. And, and it was kind of too little too late, but Willie Gay was a big part of it, man. He, he pretty much led the team in tackles. He was all over the place. Um, and, and that's even with some miss, some missed opportunities, um, you know, some missed tackles, uh, you know, in the backfield on running backs, um, the interception towards the end of the game, him and Bolton both went for it and, 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 and neither got it, but, uh, and I'll actually have that broken down on, in the article, but, I was actually a really good play by Willie Gay and, and actually just really good disguise coverage by Spags. I'm kind of fooling Herbert into thinking everyone's in man coverage, but they were actually in zone. And that's why you, it looked like Herbert just threw it right to, you know, two linebackers. It was because he thought the linebackers would move um, because he thought they were in man coverage. So um, Spagnola should definitely get some credit for, for how they played on, on, on Thursday. But a lot of it was with, with the linebackers, you know, um, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton just being the centerpiece of it, just being all over the field. Being able to stay in those nickel situations, I know we talked about that last week, but that really is a, a crucial part of this of this game and, and this team right now is being able to stay in those two linebacker sets, you know, whether it is third and long, whether it is, you know, maybe third and short or, you know, whatever situation, trusting that you keep your 11 best players on the field, Sneed, Gay, and Bolton as those three second-level defenders against the run and against the pass. Well, now that, you know, now that Gay's suspension is coming down, man, they might have to go back to playing a lot more dime um, like we saw them do last year where you see those three safety sets. You're going to see a lot more Brian Cook. Um, and what happens in those cases is, yes, you have more defensive backs on the field, but you're a lot more susceptible against the run, right? You know, teams are going to be a lot more willing to run those draw plays that, you know, maybe it's a third and five. You know, they catch you by surprise because you're in that such a light personnel and you're expecting the pass. They wouldn't maybe be as as comfortable doing that against Willie Gay and Nick Bolton if they're both on the field. So that's kind of where the difference comes in. And 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 also it's just taking, you know, a veteran, not a veteran maybe, but Willie Gay has been in the system for three years. Brian Cook, a rookie coming in and kind of, you know, playing snaps instead on those important downs. So it does affect the defense and, and it makes them more predictable. I think the the beautiful part of keeping all the, you know, the nickel package on the field 
those are a lot less predictable. You don't know exactly what's going to happen, you know, how they're going to, you know, deploy the defense. Well, now, you know, it, it seems like offenses may be able to dictate what the defense does more um, without without Gay. So it's a big loss, man. I, I definitely think um, I'm, I'm glad. I'm definitely glad, uh, you know, it, it didn't happen before the Chargers game, I guess I would say. But because <laughs> he was a big part of that, even though there were some missed tackles. You know, I appreciate that on-field analysis. I was going to make the same point about the, them being uh, less predictable when you when you can keep those three down linebackers going right. all the time. I think that does make a big difference. Uh, as far as the off-field stuff, uh, we don't want to get too far into the the league's logic behind the suspensions, but it looks really lopsided. It looks really inconsistent on the surface uh, that a guy like Willie Gay gets four games for for his incident when when others have been have been. Uh, uh, less or, or more for, for, you know, other scenarios. But you, you mentioned that the league actually has a, a sort of a defined policy here that this falls right into. Yeah. Uh, it's it from what I've gathered and what I've seen um, smart people smarter than me on Twitter talk about uh, it, it seems like um, in any sort of, you know, filing or case that falls under this domestic violence umbrella, which, you know, this does, I um, mean, you know, I know it's, it's easy to just say, Hey, the vacuum cleaner, you know, that's all it was. Well, you know, I think a vacuum cleaner was broken because maybe there were some, you know, threatening actions um, against, you know, uh, someone else in the home. And, and that's not OK. Right. And, and that's, you know, and that's where I don't want to diminish, you know, what this case is and what we know about. It just kind of came as a surprise to everybody. Right. I mean, no one really even was thinking about it anymore. Obviously, it happened last January. But yeah, so the, the NFL uh, tends to apparently, you know, um, if it's under that umbrella, it's six games automatically. He gets four games. So I think the inference there was. Hey, you know, they're giving him four games knowing that, you know, it, it may not be to the extreme level that most of the domestic violence cases we see in the NFL are. Um, so they're going to maybe reduce it to that four. But that might be why he's not appealing it either. Right. Is that it, it maybe could be six. They've already gotten it down to four for him. And so maybe that's why we're not seeing any sort of action towards it, because, you know, he's saying, hey, I'm going to get it out of the way. I'm going to and the team probably is telling him too, hey, get it out of the way. We need you for the home stretch. Yeah, you're going to miss some important games, but it's better than appealing it, appealing it and then you know, getting a six game suspension later down the line or something uh, because he, he tried so hard to appeal it. Yeah, we, we definitely want to go on record. This is a anti-domestic violence podcast. We're, uh, we're certainly not uh, making light of the situation. Uh, you know, any threatening and, and uh, you know, violence in the home is, is bad. And, and it's something that the league used to not take seriously at all. And, and now they, they've you know, at least put some parameters around it uh, and, and taken some action. So, uh, as much as it, it, it's negative for the Chiefs, it's just one of those things that that uh, they got to deal with and, and get past. The timing is a little bit odd to have this happen after week two. Um, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there saying, well, they wanted to let them get past the Chargers, but then they they want to make sure that they uh, that the Bills game is is uh, high scoring. You know, there's there's all kinds of these uh, ideas out there, but uh, we can look at this upcoming stretch and they'll be without him for the chiefs Colts game, the, the Buccaneers game, uh, the Raiders game uh, and the bills game. And so uh, again, prior to the season, that was kind of a murderer's row. You thought that um, the Raiders were going to be really good. Uh, you know, the, the Tampa Bay and, and uh, the Colts were both uh, playoff caliber teams. There might be some question marks in, in all of all three of those teams. Now the Buffalo showdown, is going to be, it's going to be epic once again, and that looks like a, a runaway freight train right now. But uh, they can probably get by these next three games uh, without him. 
but that Bills game, they're going to have to really uh, have some other guys step up in order to make that a successful uh, endeavor. Yeah, no, this the, you're right. The stretch is not as daunting as it looked before. That is definitely true. I mean, even the Buccaneers, right? I mean, I don't know. Tampa hasn't looked anything special either. I mean, the Saints nearly shut them out for most of that game if Jameis doesn't throw them a few interceptions um, this past week. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely think, you know, it, it's not as murderous row as we thought before. And this team is good enough to survive, you know, Willie Gay's four game suspension, you know, I could see them going three and one out of, out of it. You know, I, I really could. And, and it's not a huge deal at the end of it, but I, I do think, you know, the defense just in general, just looking at the defense by itself, you know, not looking at the whole team win or loss, the defense is definitely not going to be as good um, without Willie. I, I definitely think that's the case. And I think, I especially think, you know, with, with who, the, which linebackers will come in, right. We don't know for sure if they're just going to throw Leo in there full time, maybe they have Leo in rundowns and maybe, you know, Elijah Lee, the veteran kind of comes in for passing downs. Maybe I am. I, and maybe even Darius Harris, just because he's been around for a long time, maybe he gets some action too. I don't know, Stags, if you have, if you have any uh, preferences on which one you'd want to see and kind of how they do it, but that's kind of what I'm fascinated in is, is which linebacker is is forced to step up the most uh, besides uh, Nick Bolton, obviously. Yeah, I would imagine it's Harris. I saw a couple people speculating on Twitter that maybe it's Cochran coming up. That's the reason they called him up for the practice <laughs> squad. That would be uh, bold, to say the least. Um, I, I think Harris is probably the safe choice. He had that one preseason game where he was uh, probably the best player on the field, at least for a series or two. So, you know, there, there's some hope there, but I think he's a guy that the coaching staff uh, trusts and they can rely on. Uh, I, I'd rather see them sort of be able to run what they want to run, uh, just plug him in. And, and yeah, he's not going to be as good as Gay was, but at least the defense can do what they were going to do anyway Yeah, uh, with him in the, in the fold. I think once you start really trying to isolate uh, Leo Chanel in really specific situations, then like you said, it becomes predictable. Right. You know, you've got a lot of substitutions going on and teams are going to find a way to isolate him in coverage you know, on a running back uh, or, or a tight end, and that's going uh, to end badly. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I, I think there's a decent chance, like you said, that they could get to, you know, if they went three and one in these next, uh, these next four games, then all of a sudden they're at five and one in their first six in a right. season where they thought that this was going to be a really, really challenging schedule. I think anybody would be happy with that uh, scenario. Um now that after that they hit into a de- fairly tough stretch still with the the Niners, the Titans, and the and the Jags. You know that that's nothing to to sneeze about. But uh, at least they would get off to a pretty solid start uh, at, at five and one, or even four and two. Uh, I think you still feel pretty good about the the team's chances heading into the uh, the second half of the season. Yeah, and I mean just to just to you know just to round out this point, you know if they do go three and one in that and that stretch and they're five and one. No matter what, they're still atop the division right now, right? Because each of the other division teams has at least one loss. And, you know, I guess if that one – well, the Raiders have two losses now, so even if you lose that game, there's no tiebreaker there. So if they go 3-1 and one in this stretch, no matter what, they're still atop the division. Um, and, and so that, that tells you all you need to know really is, is that, you know, the, the Chiefs are in a good spot right now. They, they, they set themselves up well to, to deal with this suspension by winning the first two games of the season. Well, Ron, we wanted to start something new this week. We want to talk a little bit about – uh, one statistic or, or in, in my case, set of statistics that jumped out to you uh, after the previous week's game or heading into the, the next one. Uh, what do you have for a stat of the week? Yeah, 
Well, I'm going to stay. I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the ball. We've been talking defense all show so far. Got to give love to the running backs, man. Got to give love to Clyde Edwards Elayer, the chief starting running back. Um, someone that you have been, you know, uh, leading the hype train for. And I bought some stock during the preseason. I, I, I have some receipts when people were starting, you know, when he first had that PUP stunt, right? Everyone was like, oh boy, here we go, Clyde. What are we doing here? <laughs> the well, Clyde, PUP stunt. Yeah, exactly. Well, Clyde has come out and, and, and really, you know, put up some numbers here so far these first two games. And, and they are skewed a little bit with some big plays, right? You know, he had that 52-yard run last week. Um, that definitely skews your, your per-touch stats. But I still think it's pretty interesting, man. He has 22 touches so far this year, and he's averaging 8.7 yards on those. He has two 15-plus-yard y- runs already. He only had five all of last year. So he's already, you know, almost a halfway, you know, to the amount of 15-plus-yard runs he had. And just to, you know, just to give a little perspective on that 8.7 yards per touch, if he continues this this same rate for the rest of the season, which obviously, you know, is that, that's a lot harder to, that's a hard ask. Although, you know, it's, it's not like he has this, you know, crazy number of total yards through two games. So maybe if the touches go up, you know, the, the efficiency go down, goes down, but this, his yards could still maybe, you know, uh, per game could still maybe average out to this. If he continues on the same pace, he would finish with 1632 total yards. So 1,632 total yards and 17 touchdowns. Stags, I remember a certain smart person on this podcast uh, predicted 1,500 plus yard, plus total yards. I'm, I'm speaking to you, obviously. Uh, so you're on pace right now. You're looking good so far. And and before I throw it back to you, one more one more stat is that he right now has the highest yards per carry or yards per catch rate of any NFL running back with at least seven catches. So he is the most efficient, you know, ca- uh, pass catching running back in the NFL right now, and he's also averaging 8.7 yards per touch overall. Clyde's having a good season so far, Stags. Are you ready to uh, to uh, have a victory parade? Yeah, I'm not taking a victory lap quite yet. I think when you have a 52-yard run, it tends to skew up your stats when you have a, a, a relatively small sample size. So I'm going to, you know, not throwing cold water on this. I think Clyde has been very good. Uh, but but I think the, the numbers will probably uh, come back down uh, as that as there's more of a sample size to offset that one big – uh, the one big run that he had this week. But it is nice to see him getting out in space and the fact that they're using him in the passing game. Obviously, we've been talking about that since before he was drafted. And the fact that it's it's taken them forever to find a, a way to use him in the passing game. And he's, he's really uh, not only, like you said, uh, averaging good numbers per catch and per run, but he's racking up a lot of yards after catch and yards after contact and, and running through tackles, running over – um, you know, all pro safeties <laughs> like he did this this past week. Yes. Uh, wrapping both arms around the ball. He was catching, you know, catching uh, what do you have? The, he had a Texas route this last week. He had yeah. a, a, a couple other uh, routes that we were really wanted to see him run uh, that, that he can do, you know. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's been a good start for him. He's been a big part of the offense, uh, both rushing and receiving. And they've had nice, a nice healthy rotation, which has kept him, you know, able to break off big yards at the end of a game, uh, like he did last week with uh, Pacheco looking pretty solid as well. So, uh, so yeah, that's a a good start from from Clyde and the whole running back room in general. Yeah, and I'll just give you another quick stat, um, just just for kicks. Uh, you know, this this is kind of a this is a little different, but. Clyde Edwards has three catches on screen so far this year. He only had eight catches on screens all of last year. So that tells you that 
you know, maybe they're, they're, they're wanting to get him in the screen game a little more, get him in space, which is a very good thing. So, yeah, I definitely think those numbers, you know, obviously they're not going to hold up for the rest of the season, but I think overall it just shows you that Clyde is a big part of this offense. Clyde is not just, you know, some, you know, some part of the committee. I do think he is the guy in this, in this, in this running back room. The rest of the guys are, are good supplements to him, but it does seem like Clyde is the guy in the backfield. Well, for my stat of the week, I'm going back to the linebacker conversation, and and maybe this is me trying to put uh, my uh, red and gold colored glasses on and put a put a positive spin on losing Willie Gay for a few weeks. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about Nick Bolton and the numbers that he's putting up so far. So everybody knows that Nick Bolton is a tackling machine. Uh, yeah, he's got 20 combined tackles, 13 solo already in the t- first two games. Uh, that puts him on pace to be right there with the league leaders in both categories uh, by the end of the season. Uh, no surprise there, but the criticism on Nick Bolton has always been about how he plays in coverage. Yep. But we had some hope based on what we saw in the offseason that he was going to be a little quicker, uh, a little less thinking, a little bit more uh, you, you know, reaction in the, in the passing game. And so far, again, small sample size, first two games, but he's allowing 62.5% completion percentage uh, against uh, or allowed. So when when opponents target Will or sorry Nick Bolton, they're completing 62.5% of their passes. That's lower than uh, Willie Gay, uh, who uh, is allowing 82.4% completion. Is lower than Legarius Sneed at 76.9, and lower than Justin Reed at 66.7. So all of a sudden, maybe Nick Bolton is your coverage backer after all. Uh, now, he certainly has been targeted less than those other guys. It is only two games into the season. But uh, maybe some promising stats, at least early on, for Nick Bolton in coverage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you say, you know, he is, you know, maybe he is a coverage linebacker. Well, the Chiefs sure think so. Um, and I know – they may value uh, having the mic, uh, you know, on the field for dime. And that's why we've seen Ben Neiman on the field in the past because he's a backup mic. And so maybe that's the explanation for him playing, uh, you know, on the, in the dime defense. But the dime defense is a pass defense. It is, it is a pass coverage defense, you know, on third and longs, especially this year. You know, I mentioned they want to stay in nickel more, although we'll see if that changes with gay suspension. You know, dime, when they deploy it, it is to defend the pass. And they keep Bolton out there for a reason, man. Um, so, yeah, he obviously has impressed the coaching staff enough to, you know, be trusted on passing downs. And, and apparently it's bearing, it's, it's bearing out. And again, you saw gay almost had an interception last week. Well, Bolton almost had an interception last week. They both kind of got in each other's way. And I actually think gay might've been the one to get in Bolton's way more than Bolton getting in gay's way, but either way it was gay making a good play, but all that to say, yeah, I, I think, I think the chiefs are even telling you that they think Bolton is, is, has very, has very much improved in coverage because they're trusting him on those downs. And like I said, we, we already know that he's a sound tackler, but one more little bonus stat. <clears throat> Nick Bolton has missed only one tackle so far this season in two games. Uh, Willie Gay officially has four missed tackles in two games, yeah. which is, you know, again, not to not to bag on, on Willie Gay Jr. here, but he's had some, some, some great moments so far this season. He's had a, a few where uh, at best you can call them missed opportunities at, at – at worst, you can say he was, you know, out of position or or missed a tackle or uh, didn't square up the way he should have. So uh, I think there's, you know, again, some great positives here for Nick Bolton. Uh, some things that Willie Gay will still need to work on when he comes back, and 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 maybe 
you know, even just having a steady veteran uh, like Darius Harris in there uh, to to back him up, maybe the the drop off won't be perhaps as bad as we think it could be. Yeah, I I I I get that, but I think Willie, even if he's not making those opportunities, just the fact that he gets there a lot of the time, just the fact that you know. Spags was using him as a blitzer a lot, uh, you know, on rundowns and on passing downs. Um, his just his range, his athleticism. I definitely think it'll be missed, and and I think teams will attack. Like you know, like we've already talked about, teams will attack whoever replaces him because they know he's a you know they're they're not as much a playmaker, not even close to what Willie Gay is. Well, there's another segment that we started a few weeks ago when when Ron was away and and uh, Rocky Magania was on with me. We, we did a little bit of a uh, punctuation game where we talked about basically how you're feeling about this Chiefs team in terms of exclamation points. So who are you excited about and question marks? Who, who do we still have questions on? So, Ron, this can be a player. This can be a position group. This can be, you know, a, a, an aspect of the game or the coaching staff. Uh, but you want to get us started with any exclamation points or question marks? Yeah, no stags. I mean, I, I think the first things first is, is something I was maybe uh, not, you know, someone Travis Kelsey, tight end Travis Kelsey, someone that I thought maybe it'd be a harder time to get going um, this season with, with you know, defenses maybe, you know, more willing to just take him away and force Mahomes to go other places. He's still the number one target. He's still the one getting all the big passes, still the one, you know, hogging all the targets. It seems like should have had a touchdown in week two. It's funny. Mahomes kind of gave him some crap after the game. Just if he catches that one ball and just runs straight, he's got a touchdown. Instead, he cuts back and gets, you know, suplexed by Derwin James, um, which I don't know if you saw that the Chargers fans made a mural of that. I don't know <laughs> why you make murals of, of games you lose, but, you know, that's that's what they do. That's 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 how they yeah. that's what they are as fans. But, yeah, Travis Kelsey is definitely, you know, one of them. I mean, he, he's definitely still, you know, being an all pro, still the best tight end in the game. And and. You know, I just got to give a shout out again to, to just Clyde in the passing game, the running backs in the passing game in general. I think I, I mentioned Clyde, but something I wrote up for the site last week right after the game was that the other running backs are, are stepping up in pass protection. Uh, you know, Jarek McKinnon had a really big block on the Justin Watson touchdown. Isaiah Pacheco had a really good block on a blitzing Derwin James during the McCole Hardman 30-yard catch earlier in the game. So, yeah, I, I think the running backs in general in the pass game are really contributing, really you know, being a big piece, and that whole group, is, is, is playing really well right now. Clyde's leading the way, but again, I mentioned it earlier. The other two are, are really good compliments to what Clyde's doing, and it shows up when they pass protect really well. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of being a running back, and they both did it well in week two. Yeah, a couple of good exclamation points there for the Chiefs offense. Travis Kelsey shattering all records all time, and he's, he's on his way uh, to hitting a few more this season. Uh, certainly on pace for a monster year. And looks like he hasn't lost a step, hasn't slowed down, um, you know. And and really, all this concern about without Tyreek Hill, teams will double up Kelsey, and he won't right. get any production. Uh, I think that's pretty much out the window now. Um, when it comes to question marks, and I'm gonna—I know I'm stealing from a from a question that someone asked here later on, but uh, I'm gonna go with MVS for a question mark. So yeah, Mahomes is doing a great job of spreading the ball around. He's targeted. Literally anybody who could be targeted on this team has gotten at least one target in the passing game. But MVS's production hasn't quite been what we hoped it could be. For a guy who started off the offseason process as the number one wide receiver, it's pretty clear based on targets and production that Juju Smith-Schuster uh, is the number one receiver. Uh, and obviously Travis Kelsey is the number one target. But 
MVS has been uh, a little ineffective, a little inefficient, um, you know, with his uh, with his receptions, especially this week. Um, he had a handful of targets and and, and hardly uh, you know not a lot of production uh, when it comes to that. So I know he was known as a deep threat. He hasn't really gotten that connection yet, um, and it hasn't worked out as well on the underneath stuff yet either. So uh, I've got some questions about MVS still. I uh, would love to see him perform like the guy we saw uh, before the season started. Yeah, and I and I think a question mark maybe to add on to that is, is the pass protection. Um, you know, I I think especially right tackle, I should say. I, I one uh, one thing, and maybe I'll give Orlando Brown Jr. an exclamation point here. I think he played very well against the Chargers. He was he was very good in pass protection. I actually think we're seeing what we kind of all talked about during the offseason that you know he maybe lost some weight. Um, it might have helped his foot quickness, and he, he still has that power. I think you saw that, and I think he actually did a really good job against Bosa and Mac. But Wiley, you know, they had to give him a lot of help, and and he really did not hold up that well. Um, I think Mahomes negated it a lot of times, and and so did the running backs, and, and get, with good pass protection. But you also saw some time if you if you look kind of closer at some of these plays, Mahomes is kind of just, you know, not trusting his reads and kind of throwing it maybe uh, where he shouldn't be because he's maybe worried about the pass protection a little bit. And I and I do think the interior offensive line didn't play that well in the Chargers game, but it was really Andrew Wiley that I think was really his main uh, point of concern. So. I would least, give I would give Wiley a question mark on that too. At least in my eye, it, it appeared to be they were struggling with the blitz a little bit more. Right. Um, they had, you know, obviously they couldn't block Bosa, which you know is going to happen to some extent. But but they they really I think uh, Tranquil and some of the linebackers had more success than I expected to see, especially coming through the middle of the offensive line. There were some some missed assignments or handoffs uh, there amongst those interior players who have been so solid so far but yeah Orlando Brown I think I saw that he had three uh three pressures allowed or something like that through the entire game and no sacks uh which he played well for that game was it was was pretty solid um on the flip side I'm gonna give an exclamation point to the pass rush so far the number one problem the number one concern that everybody had going into this game or into the season uh, that is is the Chiefs pass rush and all of a sudden when they needed to make plays, they made plays on that defensive line. Uh, Chris Jones, obviously, is the headliner from this last week. Huge exclamation point for him. But the other guys around him were, were making waves, too. And you saw Mike Dana getting home from uh, from inside. Obviously, uh, Justin Herbert's not going to forget him anytime soon. But there's a, a, a you know, across that front, uh, they're getting pressure. They're getting to the quarterback, and they seem to – to step up in big moments this week when the game was close. And that is the number one thing I want to see from this pass rush. They don't have to be number one in the league in sacks. They don't have to be the most dominant uh, pass rush in the NFL by any other metric. But if they can step up when you need somebody to make a play, when the offense is down, when the team, the games are close and they're division rivals in prime time, when your pass rush steps up and can close out games and make life absolutely miserable for opposing quarterbacks when they're trying to uh, to make a comeback or trying to win the game, when the game is on the line, if they step up and close, that's what was great about the 2019 pass rush with with Frank Clark, the closer, um, and and that's what can be great about this year's pass rush is even if if it's Chris Jones and a bunch of other guys, if they can get home when it counts. 
um, they're doing they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and I think they did that this week. Yeah, and and it probably is is you know it, it, they need to be an exclamation point because I do think there's some question marks in the secondary. Um, you know, Rashad Fenton obviously um, had a rough game um, targeted against Mike Williams. You know, in the Chargers, you know, Jarius need to. I, I I think the thing with him is he he's not. You know, his strengths aren't as a cover player. He, they're not. You know, he he is his strengths are as you know, around the ball, you know, making, you know, hard tackles, you know, being a playmaker in space. Um, I, I just, in terms of, you know, being a cover corner, he's got the length, he's got the size and he's got the speed, but, you know, I do think he struggles sometimes just as a pure cover guy, although he had good coverage on that Mike Williams touchdown. I think Mike Williams is just a freaking beast. Um, but, I, you know, to your pass rush point though, I, I really think, you know, the, their rotation, their ability to stay fresh, you know, it was the reason why you saw it come through in the fourth quarters. Because, you know, Chargers offense spine is probably dog-tired. Chiefs defense line with that fresh rotation. They have four defensive ends they can trust to play. Because a guy like Carlos Dunlap stepped up and, and played really well against the Chargers, too. So you have Dunlap, Karloftis, Clark, and Mike Dana all switching in and out of the game. And then, obviously, you mentioned Dana playing some inside, too, to give Chris Jones or, or even Tershawn Wharton some rest as well. They all are going to be able to stay fresh throughout a game. And, and, and I think you've seen it, man. This, that fourth quarter of week two is really where it came to fruition. The rotation is going to help them be ready for the fourth quarter. And again, yeah, you know, it, it, that you don't want to see anyone get hurt, right? But the, the ability to get a lick on, on Justin Herbert like that in the fourth quarter is, is a pretty big thing. And they got two of them. And it's because, you know, they were more fresh than the Chargers offensive line and, and beat them. So I, I think the pass rush does get a lot of credit. And, and the defensive staff and Joe Colon should get a lot of credit for how they're, they're implementing the defensive line. And, hey, maybe an exclamation point to the training staff and the uh, Andy Reid uh, tough preseason as the conditioning looking pretty good. And when you right. see the, the Chargers uh, uh, tight end uh, huffing and yeah. puffing and, and not able to, to, to make a play, and, and, and my next exclamation point stepped in and, and made it happen. So big exclamation point to both of the Watsons, really. Uh, Jalen Watson, obviously with a tremendous debut uh, as a starter, uh, you know, really stepping in and, and making his presence felt and making one of the biggest plays of the entire season already. Uh, I think that's one we'll remember all the way through the end of this season. And then uh, uh, Justin Watson, who has been yeah. uh, sneaky efficient when they they don't throw to him a lot, but when they do, it's a big play. And he put the the most expensive free agent on the market this year in an absolute blender uh, really beat him twice on that route. So he he turned him around and got open, and then uh, Jackson was able to recover and and nearly contest that ball in the end zone. Uh, but uh, uh, you know Watson went right up and got it and, and finished that play. So I think there was a uh, that was a really impressive play. He may not get a large volume of targets, but man, he makes them count when they happen. So exclamation points to both Watsons. Yeah. And uh, the last thing I'll say on that is if anyone like me drafted Sky more in their fantasy team, I don't know, man. I, I think it's going to be kind of a redshirt year more than anything if everyone stays healthy, because I think Watson has earned those those reps over him at this point. I think Mahomes chemistry with him is super important and. I think we'll see Sky in more just a punt return or kind of reserve role more this year. It, it just seems like that. If, if if these four receivers in front of him stay healthy, I, I don't see why Sky would penetrate the lineup. Well, Ron, I know you have a, a would you rather as we go to break here. We want to hear from our sponsors, but I, I know you got a would you rather for me that I'm not excited about answering. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of hinted at it earlier, but would you rather, Chiefs Kingdom, would you rather see Gay suspended now, which is weeks three through six? 
Or would you rather have been suspended for the first four games of the season? Um, you know, maybe the suspension comes out in the preseason. I, I have our answer next, and, and I'm curious your answer too, Stag. So we'll get that on the other side. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, back here on the Arrowhead Pride Out of Structure podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you're tuning in to the rest of our podcasts on the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel. Before break, I left you with a would you rather stags. Would you rather Gabe be suspended now, weeks three through six, or would you rather have this suspension dropped at the very beginning of the season, weeks one through four? What are your thoughts on that? All right, so again, maybe this is my uh, red and gold rose-colored glasses here, but I'm going to say – uh, I'd rather see him suspended now, weeks three through six, because I feel like the defense had uh, at least an opportunity to to show what they can be as a unit, to to gel, to get off to a good start. Uh, I think you can plug and play as the season goes on, but I like that the defense got off to a solid start and Gay was a big part of that. So uh, I, I'm going to say that they'll be able to weather this thing without him, uh, but I was glad that he was here to to get him off on the right foot. Yeah, I hate when we agree, Stags, but I'm with you. Um, you know, I think people, you know, they look at the Bills game like, oh, my gosh, they don't want to, you know, the NFL screwing us because we don't have Willie Gay for the Bills game. Well, how much do you think we would have got screwed if he didn't play in the Chargers game? I, I think it's way more important that he was there for that Chargers game. It's a divisional game. It's kind of that, you know, that win is kind of that, that good feeling going into the rest of the season. If you lose that game, there's kind of some bad, you know, bad vibes. And, and you know, you already lost that first division game for the season. I would way rather have won that week two game. And, and if it costs us the week six game, yeah, that sucks. But still, you got to, you know, math is math. And, and, and division standings and conference standings are, are what they are. You'd rather have that division win, you know, than the, than the Bills win. Yes, you might lose that home field advantage to the Bills. But you might lose out having any sort of home field at all in the playoffs if you don't win the division. So I would way rather have been su- him suspended now. And honestly, I, I'll, I'll be a little conspiracy theory here. I think the NFL didn't want to have gay suspended for their first Amazon game, their first Thursday night game. I think they wanted both teams to be as full go as possible. Obviously there were some injuries, but you know, they can't help that. I do think there might be something to that, right? Where the NFL maybe waited till after that, their first big Amazon game, that big deal to suspend one of the chief's best players. You did see Jeff Bezos sitting right next to Roger Goodell during that game. Yep. Uh, they were, they were talking, they were working together. They, they, they had a deal. All right, let's get to your question. Jake Wilson, our guy, 
Uh, removing Patrick Mahomes from consideration, are the Chiefs getting better quality production from players on rookie deals or those on veteran contracts? And so I gave this one some thought. I went through and, and kind of listed off, uh, you know, some guys in each category. And it's closer than I thought it was going to be. So initially I was thinking here, Ron, that this is a pretty young team and it's probably going to be the rookie deals. Uh, but their their veterans are coming through as well. So uh, I'm going to just put out here uh, six rookies and, and four veterans. And you can tell me of those two groups, who do you think has been – more productive or, or, or better uh, for the Chiefs so far. So on rookie deals, you've got Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Isaiah Pacheco, Willie Gay Jr., um, Legereus Sneed, uh, Nick Bolton, and Jalen Watson. So that's your rookie deal list for consideration. And then for veterans, I've got Travis Kelsey, Juju Smith-Schuster, Justin Reed, and Chris Jones. So of those groups – which do you think have, have produced more? Well, it says quality, right? Gain quality production. And I think that's the key word here is, is I would give it to the veterans, man. You're talking, we talked about Kelsey, you know, we wanted these other wide receivers to step up, but Kelsey is the one stepping up. You know, it's not McCall Hardman who is also on a rookie deal. You didn't mention, um, you know, it's not, you know, some of these, you know, a, a sky more rookie, right? It, it's Travis Kelsey, the veteran. And even if you want to, you know, I know Juju and MBS haven't been, you know, as impactful this year, but, they are the second and third receivers. And then you and you mentioned Chris Jones. I mean, Chris Jones is putting together a defensive player of the year resume so far um, with the way he's he's uh, playing so far. So he's the best player on the defense. And then a guy like Justin Reed has also made some plays too. You know, I you know, the linebackers have been super important, but when you factor it all in, it does seem like the veterans are are, are getting the higher quality of production. But again, quality is the work because if, if you're telling me quantity, who's you know, which you know, we have a quantity of production. It does seem like the rookie. There's more rookies contributing. There's just more young guys contributing, and and a lot of them um, compared to you know how many veterans are on this team. So, I think quality is the key word there. So I'd give it to the vets. Yeah, if the word were value, I think you you could you could certainly make a, a stronger case uh, for the rookies because obviously those guys are all on cheap deals, and and you're getting a lot out of them. You're getting a lot of snaps out of rookies and young players uh, this season for this Chiefs team, but. But yeah, it all comes down to those, you know, Mahomes, obviously, who was excluded here, but uh, Kelsey and Chris Jones are still the stars uh, of their respective side of the ball uh, otherwise. So uh, slight edge to the veterans, but but when it comes to value and, and long-term outlook, man, I'm glad to see so many guys on rookie contracts performing well. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, you know, the, the rookies – the rookie deals, you know, they're not going to be rookie deals for much longer. And, and, you know, they'll just cycle them in with new rookie deals. And, and the guys that weren't being productive enough as rookies won't get signed to those veteran deals. So the chiefs are really good about that. And they're going to have to make those tough decisions because there are a lot of, a lot of young talented players coming up uh, on, on the rookie deals. All right, let's get on to Thomas Ramirez's question. Do they need to feed the running backs more to slow down the pass rush on those tackles? You mentioned Andrew Wiley struggling a little bit this week, but maybe Orlando Brown playing better. Um, you could chalk some of that up to just being the Chargers and having uh, two ridiculous pass rushers there. But um, do you think they need to feature the running backs more? They could. They, they could definitely feature them a little more. Um, I, I do think one thing that, that I noticed from the game is the interior offensive line wasn't really playing that great. So they may not have felt super, super comfortable, super great running the ball over and over again. 
um, which I totally get. You have Patrick Mahomes. You want to give him the ball. You know, you want to have him have the ball in his hands. But this running back group seems to be taking advantage of the of the the gaps they do get or the lanes they do get a little more than last year. I, I think in the preseason we even saw it sometimes where Clyde wasn't getting all of the yards that were there. I mean, especially in week two, it, it seemed like you know Clyde and and. I guess Clyde was really the only productive one, but Clyde was getting what was there. You know, I mean, he got all of those 52 yards. Obviously, you know, he's not a, you know, he's not a breakout player, so he's not going to, you know, outrun everyone to the end zone. But, man, he got every single yard that was there for him to get. So, um, yeah, I definitely think the Chiefs could run more, and, and you'll see it, you know, maybe against teams, you know, like a Colts team where, you know, uh, they, they do have a, a good front. You have DeForest Buckner, Yannick Ngakwe, um, but they are going to be missing their, their top linebacker, Shaquille Leonard, and, and I think it'd be a great way to attack and, and, again, slow down maybe a couple pretty good pass rushes that the Colts have. Yeah, I think there's multiple layers to this question. Is, is featuring the running backs in the passing game, I'm 100% all for it. You've seen some great success with Clyde where he'll – looks like he's staying in for pass protection. He'll maybe chip on that right tackle and, and, then, and then head out into a route and, and, and catch a pass. Um, the screen game, I think they can feature more. Uh, they could do more with those quick slants and, and those uh, uh, wheel routes and things like that. I, I would love to see the running backs continue to feature in the pass game as well, even if it's not a straight-up running game, which we know Andy Reid is reluctant to, to feature anyway. So one way or the other, continue to feed the running back room? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, will that completely slow down the pass rush? I'm not sure, but it, it's a nice uh, a counter move, uh, especially when you face the really good pass rushers. But there is this challenge, like, do you uh, do you keep the running backs in more, you know, for pass protection against uh, a team like the Chargers? I don't think we'll have that issue as much this week against the Colts. Uh, their pass rushes, you mentioned two big names, but I think those guys are getting a little bit older and maybe aren't as uh, aren't quite the players they used to be. Um, but against other teams with ferocious pass rushes, will you do you think they should keep the backs in in protection more? Uh, or uh, use those screens and, and other pass plays to, to slow them down. Well, they go hand in hand, right? I mean, you have to, you can't, you know, you have to keep them in, in pass protection in order to make those screen passes really work. Right. You know, and, and you can't just have them in just to, you know, you can't have Jarek McKinnon just to pass protect and then have Clyde in, in to, to run the screen defenses pick up on those tendencies. So I definitely think, uh, you know, I think Clyde and Clyde, you know, he's had some good reps as a, as a pass protector too. You know, I didn't mention him earlier, but all three are doing a pretty good job in that, in that area. Um, they're all vets or not, you know, the two of them are vets, Jarek and Clyde are now. Um, so yeah, I, I think you can trust them to kind of be interchangeable. I think both are very good in the screen game. I think that's definitely true. And Clyde's gotten better at pass protecting, so they can be a little more hand in hand, him and McKinnon. Well, Richard has a question about injuries here. He asked about this one, uh, but uh, Patrick appears to be 100% fine. No concerns about Patrick Mahomes' hand at this point. Uh, Harrison Butker's foot, I would assume he's going to be out this week. I would assume that he's going to miss this week, uh, and then he'll be back the following one. Uh, I think that's probably a, a safe assumption. There's some other injuries we might be uh, wondering about, like Mike Dana uh, had a, a little injury this last week. Uh, we'll be waiting to see the status of some of those other guys as practice starts this week. But uh, I think for those two, it's relatively clear Mahomes is fine. Butker probably needs another week. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't have much to add to that. And and so I'm going to go ahead and answer J.C. Proctor's question uh, on why are Juju and MBS actually struggling to get open 
I actually will will reserve my answer and 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 let uh let our guy Nate Christensen on Twitter um or on Twitter on Arrowhead Pride. That's how I know him on Twitter, but we just recently brought him on to Arrowhead Pride. He actually did break down why the receivers were were struggling to get open. I believe it's already on the site. So if you do have questions about why this receiving core just didn't really get open, again, no receiver had more than 50 yards on the game in week two. I actually didn't pull this out earlier, but I have it now. MBS and Juju combined for 23 yards on 10 targets. An unbelievably inefficient game from those two. But Nate did break down why the receivers weren't getting open. So check that out on the site. He has a pretty good breakdown on all that. Love it. Love a good plug mid-podcast here. Uh, from Adam Harney, how confident are you in the defense going forward overall? They're off to a pretty good start, Ron. Yeah, I, I was very confident, man, with Willie Gay uh, being in the mix. Um, and, and you know, honestly, Trent McDuffie getting back into the mix too eventually, and that's someone we're going to be missing over these next three weeks now at least. Um, you know, he went on IR. Uh yeah, I, I was confident, man. I really was. I think all three levels of the defense have playmakers. All three levels of the defense, uh, you know, seem to be gelling um, quicker than we've even seen some of the defenses in the past under Spagnuolo. I mean, like, think about last year, how bad the defense looked right out the gate. That was with veterans. That was with guys that have been around. We're looking at a defense that hasn't even, you know, played more than two games together as a unit. And, and they're still looking and they're already looking maybe better than we saw last year. So um, I, I was very confident in the defense and I was really excited to see them. I think you're going to see maybe a lull a little bit here um, these next four weeks without having Gay or McDuffie again. Um, but I think by the time they get back to full health, by the end of the season, I think we'll be feeling really good about the playmaking of the defense. Yeah, they may not be top five, top ten in scoring or whatever, um, but I do think they're a playmaking unit that's going to make stops when they need to, get sacks when they need to. Um, and we talked about the pass rush late in the fourth quarter. I think that's going to continue to be a theme this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I was very good, uh, feeling very good about the defense. I'll feel much better about them when we're over these injuries and suspensions here in about a month or so. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to that. But uh, Neil from LJ asks, are the secondary and defensive line good or is it smoke and mirrors? And when will we definitively find out? So it, it's, it's hard to tell with such a small sample size uh, whether what you've seen is real. Um, and I think the secondary maybe – uh, more than, than any other position that's probably true for because, you know, they, they faced a, a couple of, I would say, pretty good, um, you know, offenses. Obviously, the Chargers can, can be a really good offense uh, if they're clicking, but they haven't really been tested over a full season yet. And so when they, when they face, you know, the Bills, when they, even when they face uh, Tampa, uh, Tom Brady is not what he once was. But he knows how to pick on somebody who's uh, who's who's lacking, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they hold up uh, going forward. I think to the second half of Neil's question, we'll find out by the Bills game. That's going to be the one right. uh, that that you'll know where everybody stands. But the secondary, I think, maybe has some more question marks in it. The defensive line, I, I feel a little bit more uh, solid uh, about them. Yeah, no, the secondary, again, to my to just the point I just made, I, I think, yeah, there are question marks. We mentioned the question marks, and I don't think I don't think they've actually proven that they're good right now. I don't I don't think, you know, I, I think the D line, I could understand, you know, maybe saying, hey, they're good. You know, is that just smoke and mirrors? I don't think the secondary has even, you know, considered themselves good so far and, and they're hurt right now. Um, obviously, I, I, I definitely think the secondary is just 
you know, it may not be, you know, that good throughout the season. There's a lot of inexperience, you know, and Trent McDuffie, a rookie, is going to be starting. But, again, playmaking. I, I just think they're playmakers. I think, you know, you see Justin Reed making a PBU. Um, you see, you know, Legereus Needs obviously a guy that can make a huge play at, at some point. And, and when McDuffie gets back, he's obviously been covering uh, well. He didn't get a single target against the Cardinals. All that to say is, is I think they'll they'll get exposed against the the right offenses. I think that's that's definitely true. And and I and I I don't think it's I don't think we should be unexpected of that. I think that's just part of having a secondary that's going to have some youth in it, and maybe just guys that are first year playing in the system. But they're playmakers, and and so they'll make plays at, at the right times. And that's what this defense needs to be. The offense is good enough. They don't need to win with defense. They just need the defense to make enough plays, like they did against the Chargers. They just need to make those plays, you know, at certain moments. And I think this defense has the playmakers to do it. Yeah, you know, I, I like that they've got some veterans that you you know you're going to be able to rely on. I think they're going to see some more variance from the rookies, obviously. Uh, and, yeah, there was a couple guys who struggled this last week. Uh, by the way, on a side note, I was at a concert this weekend, and I saw a guy wearing this T-shirt from Raygun. Raygun is a T-shirt store here in, in Des Moines. There's a Kansas City location as well. They always have funny shirts. It says, whatever it is, Justin Reed can probably do it. And I'm like, that is a, that is a sweet shirt. Yeah. Uh, I love the versatility of Justin Reed. Uh, you know, the, the, they also have, by the way, Reagan also has the Greek Freak uh, T-shirt featured and a handful of others. So uh, check out Reagan T-shirts. Uh, not a sponsor, but maybe they could be. Uh, but, but, yeah, I like the versatility of those guys. Uh, and I'm not super concerned about uh, the secondary necessarily, but there were some times in the Chargers game where I felt like they played off a little too far, uh, where there was a little bit of soft coverage. Um, maybe that was schematic, um, yeah, yeah. but if if that continues against uh, even better quarterbacks and offenses, uh, they'll get exposed at some point this season. Yeah, no, I I just think they've played well, but I just don't think we should all of a sudden think they're one of the you know a, a good secondary, a good NFL secondary. I just think they're. It's hard to ask of that that of them right now. I, I just really think it is. So I, I when he, he just the way he phrases the question, you know, are the secondary D line good or is it smoke and mirrors? I don't think, it, you know, there's nothing smoke and mirrors about the DB. I just think they've played well so far, but you know, they haven't played super. You know, they haven't played super well at the same time. And I just think, like you just mentioned, against an offense with a full arsenal of weapons, they're probably going to get exposed, and we shouldn't be like, oh man, you know, I thought the secondary was good. No, it, you know, it's, it's a fine secondary that'll make plays, but they'll definitely, they're definitely a secondary that can get exposed. And smoke and mirrors on the defensive line might be like gaudy sack numbers where they just stumble yeah. into a bunch of sacks, and they haven't done that yet either. Right. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, finally, uh, Daniel asked, how, how confident should Chiefs fans feel about the defensive line versus the Colts' offensive line? Uh, that's a, a really talented group, even though they didn't uh, play well this week. Yeah, no, and, and and we talk about the defensive line, uh, you know, uh, being fresh, you know, playing well. They're going to need to against against this offensive line. You know, the Colts definitely, you know, they they have some good players, right? Quentin Nelson's a really good, you know, one of the best guards in the in the NFL. You know, Braden Smith, the right tackle, a late the South product. Shout out Kansas High School. Uh, you know, he he's a pretty good player as well. But it, it, it honestly isn't, you know, it it's the offensive line combined with a, a really good quarterback or combined with a really, you know, a really, you know, effect. Yeah. Just a passing game, I guess is what scares you. Um, the Colts are going to be really one dimensional. Um, the receivers are banged up and all they really have is Jonathan Taylor and the, you know, teams like the Jaguars last week and the Texans week one, you know, 
knew they were very one-dimensional and, and took advantage of that, and the Chiefs should do the same. So I'm not yeah. too worried about that matchup uh, up front. I think the defensive line can do enough. Um, I, I, I wouldn't think they're going to be overwhelmed or anything. Jaguars had five sacks of Matt Ryan. I think yeah. at this point in his career, Matt Ryan's probably not the most elusive quarterback uh, in the league. So I think you can get to him. Um, and you're right, looking at their receivers, uh, can you name the number, the most productive receiver on the Colts uh, this last week? <laughs> it's not Michael Pittman. It's not Alec Pierce. And so after that, uh, Paris was, Campbell? Paris Campbell, maybe? Uh, Paris Campbell had no receptions on two targets. My God. Uh, their, their leading receiver this last, last week was Ashton Doolin, five catches for 79 yards. Um, and then, you know, from the wide receiver position, uh, Desmond Patman, <laughs> uh, Mike Strachkin. I mean, these are – there's, I don't mean to be clown on these guys. It, it's just, it's not uh, a really um, a well-known wide receiver group at this point for the for the Colts. Uh, and, and you're right. So maybe they can hone in on Jonathan Taylor. Maybe assign even assign a, a, a you know a spy uh, type player to 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 a running back this week, or really just uh, focus, make the focus of their defense slowing him down. Uh, if you contain him like the the Jags did. Taylor had 54 yards rushing uh, and nine yards uh, receiving this last week. You don't have to stop him fully, but if you keep Jonathan Taylor, you know, under 120 yards rushing, you're probably going to win this game, uh, you know, from the, from the Chiefs defense versus the Colts offense. Yeah, and, and again, it's, it's not even the offensive line versus defensive line matchup necessarily. It's, the Chiefs will load the box, will force the Colts to, you know, to – try to pass on early downs but again you know without without any skill you know skill position players that make the Chiefs defense sweat at all it's not really going to matter too too terribly so uh yeah I I think I think the Chiefs defense will will be have a good strategy to to you know kind of take away that advantage that the Colts offensive line may have against the Chiefs defensive line all right in the last couple minutes here we want to get to our our new friend gambling Ron uh, Ron, what do you have for us this week when it comes to Chiefs bets? Well, not just Chiefs bets, Stags, although I do think the Chiefs minus six and a half, they are giving you a win this week, folks. So if you are a better and you don't mind betting on the Chiefs, because I can't do it. Every time I bet on the Chiefs, they lose. Um, so I am not going to do it. But that minus six and a half number, getting that touchdown, that is such a key number. If it, I guarantee you by the time the game kicks off, it's going to be over that six and a half number. So get it now while, while it's under that touchdown. Besides that, though, any other week three bets we got? I do like the Cardinals' money line against the Rams at home. I think the Rams have been playing a little bit over their skis, especially week two. Um, the Falcons definitely, you know, almost brought that all the way back against them. I think the Cardinals are going to be riding that momentum a little bit from that upset uh, or that coming from behind in week two. So I'd look at Cardinals' money line. They're an underdog this week. Lions, uh, you know, a five and a half under five and a half point underdog to the Vikings. I think you just saw Monday night the Vikings didn't look super great. Uh, Kirk Cousins back to his normal self i think the lions are super competitive even if they don't win that game they'll keep it close um definitely want to give uh, falcons money line at seattle they're an underdog i think that's that's something the falcons have been super competitive i think seattle played so well against the broncos and russell wilson that week one game but they are not a very good team and you just saw it against the niners completely shut out in that game pretty much uh, offensively at least I think the Falcons are, 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 are actually a pretty good team, honestly. Um, you know, I, I just think they have a, a quarterback little bit of a problem. But even Mariota will give them, a, you know, some, some, um, some good snaps. So Falcons on under, underdog money line at Seattle as well. 
Um, the only other thing I, I would say is, is Washington. I didn't write down who they were playing, and I can get it right here. Washington, Philadelphia, take that over. Washington over 50 points, Washington, Philadelphia. Both offenses seem to be doing a, a lot right now, and both defenses are iffy. So, you know, the Eagles gave up 35 points to the Lions week one. So take that over. It's at 50 points right now. That's a pretty low number for what that game could probably be. All right, and that'll do it for this week's Out of Structure podcast. We appreciate everybody joining us and spending some time with us. Uh, and looking forward to another Chiefs victory this week. We'll talk to you again early next week. Make sure you rate and review. Uh, enjoy all the content on arrowheadpride.com, and we'll talk next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.